You're listening to IT Market Buzz, sponsored by Copy Punch IT. Here's your host, Kimberly Duran. Sharon Drew Morgan is the thought leader behind the buying facilitation method, a change management model that is used in sales to help buyers manage their behind-the-scenes decision issues. She's the author of the New York Times business bestseller, Selling with Integrity, and the number one Amazon bestseller, Dirty Little Secrets. She is a consultant, trainer, coach, keynote speaker, and inventor. I just saw a study published over at IDG, I'll put the links in the show notes, about B2B buyers. And the buyers themselves noted that their internal decision-making was the biggest problem in their buying cycle and that they themselves wanted a shorter buying cycle. So I see this as vital for marketers and especially B2B tech marketers. Uh, You know, sales has totally ignored that whole aspect of the buying journey. We're going to talk about that today, I'm sure, yes. Your book is titled Dirty Little Secrets, why sellers can't sell and buyers can't buy and what you can do about it. So you talk about sales being a broken model. Yeah. um, It's really interesting that the entire sales model is based on solution placement. And that was kind of good enough until recently. I personally think that a 7% close rate, which was part of the fallout of that sales model, uh, was not good enough, but the, the, the sales industry has deemed an approximately 7% success rate to be success, uh, 7% close rate. Um, some people maybe have 10%. Some industries have half a percent, but it's absolutely never more than 10% from first call. Mm-hmm. So why is it possible that a a 10%, 7% to 10% success rate is deemed okay. Well, the problem is that sales has pushed into the buyer's buying environment. Let me say that differently. Buyers, just like all of us, live in a, in a system with rules and people and relationships and, and history and feelings and old vendors and the way it's working now is the way it's been working for X amount of time. There's workarounds that have been created. New people have been hired to fix a little bit of this, and the tech team comes in to fix a little bit of that. And whatever is working is working. So we salespeople as outsiders see a problem that, of course, our solution can resolve. And we say, oh, look, you have a problem. And guess what? We can fix it. And mm-hmm. they proceed to push in to the system with their solution, acting as if the problem were an isolated event and forgetting that it sits within these people and policies and rules and workarounds. So the buyer sees that the seller is pushing and they resist and they object. Then they go inside and they say, gee, do we really have to change this? And then they do whatever they do, which we can talk about in a bit, to see if they want to make a change. Sales has omitted the entire buying decision aspect of the internal journey that the buyer has to go through, that private stuff that sales can't address. And sellers sit and wait until they come back, and then, of course, only uh, 10% or so or less come back. 
So mm-hmm. I don't think it's a problem with the solution because we have good solutions. And sellers are smart. It's not mm-hmm. a sales problem. A seller's problem is not a solution problem. It's a problem with the sales model itself only addressing one portion of the journey. Let's talk about the – you challenge the typical assumptions about the purchase decision and what buyers are thinking. Can you touch on that? We assume that buyers are really concerned about purchasing a solution, uh, our solution. The problem is that buyers really only want to resolve a business problem or a personal problem. They don't necessarily want our solution. If they can fix it themselves, if they can find a workaround that works, if they can use their old vendor, if they can get Mm -hmm. by without fixing it, they would much prefer to do that because any, any, any something new, any new thing in a and the system creates a change management problem. If you decide to have a different haircut, you have a change management problem. You've got to fix your collars. You have to fix your earrings. If you decide to buy a new house, you've got a change management problem. If you decide to do a team building program, you've got a change management problem. Sales overlooks that. So we barrel our way in thinking that our solution will rule the day. And buyers have a whole set of issues that they have to manage. And the problem is that they don't know how. Because if they would have, they would have fixed it already. If they really needed our solution, they would have gotten something like it before. So there are status quo rules. And their problem is that they have to figure out how to discombobulate themselves in a way that they can end up butter side up, that they can end up in a good state and have their problem resolved, with or without our solution. We really underestimate their drive to maintain the status quo. Oh, yes, we do. That's a, that's a law of systems. Um, every environment is a system, and I define a system as a grouping of interdependent parts that all agree with and buy into a similar set of rules. Um, My book, Dirty Little Secrets, is half about systems and change and decision-making. We forget that buyers live in a system. Um, Let me give you a really cute analogy. Um, Remember the game Pick-Up Sticks? Did you ever play those Mm -hmm. as a kid? Well, you know you needed to get to the black one because the black one was going to help. No, the black one. The, so the black one was your original problem, right? To pick them all up, the black one. Getting to the black one was the first problem. So you're bringing back memories, Sharon Drew. <laughs> <laughs> let's consider that the black one is the problem, and we're standing outside looking at this mess. And the black one is always somewhere in the middle. It's never sitting on top. It's always in the middle, and we have to get to the black one. Oh, the problem is we have to get to the black one. That's the problem. So by the time we get there, we've already messed up. We're already out of the game. We've already touched something we're not supposed to touch. The black one is in the middle of all those other sticks. So the, the buyer has a problem that they have a – the problem is in the middle of all this other mess that they have to contend with. It never sits by itself on the side. And not only can the salesperson not get to it, 
but the buyer can't get to it either. We seem mm-hmm. to think because we see their problem and have a solution that they can easily figure out how to do something, choose something, decide something. But there's so many factors involved that they don't know their route through either. This is huge for content marketers because as you touch on in your book, even if the the prospect needs what we have, the content marketing of of giving them a lot of content to tell them why our solution is better isn't necessarily going to make the sale. That's right. And by us coming in and telling uh, telling them that we're better, <laughs> that our solution's better, that we have the right way of doing it, we're telling them that we're right and they're wrong. Um, my book, Selling with Integrity, it's an, it's an older book, and, and uh, uh, at the time I was talking about this servant leader issues that we have to contend with as salespeople. But I was standing in front of 600 people, and I, I was playing with titles at that time, and I said, I'm thinking of calling my book, I'd close more sales if it weren't for the buyer. And I, <laughs> I got a standing ovation. I got a salvation, and I stood there totally bewildered, and I went, no, no, that's a joke. That's <laughs> not true. That's kind of like saying I would have had a better birth if it weren't for my mother. You know, mm-hmm. it's, people assume that buyers basically are stupid because they're not doing what the seller can clearly see that they need, and the sales model just absolutely doesn't get the fact that it's such a complex issue internally for the buyer. Yeah, you mentioned that buyers are not stupid, and they do have smart reasons for the decisions that they make. Right. They may not be the best reason overall, but they are the best decision they can make at the time, given their set of of possibilities and choices, and given all the rules and relationships they have going on within their system. So we've touched on their drives to maintain the status quo, and then also um, that that leads to us needing to emphasize why it's low risk to choose a certain solution. They have to take the lowest risk and or they have to make sure that there is buy-in. The word buy-in is a greatly overlooked word because until the sales team buys into training, it doesn't matter what the the CSO or the VP of sales wants them to do because they'll resist and sabotage it. There has to be buy-in all along the process. Otherwise, you have a group of um, prisoners or hostile people rather than leaders. Uh, By getting buy-in, you can have the entire buying decision team and the followers be leaders for the change, and we forget that. So what is your vision for the better way to help buyers buy? I have developed a sequenced decision-making method that actually brings the buyer or the student or the coachee or the employee, uh, it doesn't matter, this is used for anyone because this is a change management model, not a sales model, It brings the person from where they're at to where they want to be and shows them how to recognize and manage all of the internal issues that have to be addressed so they can make a decision to move forward. I'll give you a little example. 
I got a um, a call from um, a, a large bank in Europe, probably one of the largest banks in Europe, and they asked, um, the, this is the head of commercial banking, asked if I could put buying facilitation on the front end of their large uh, program they were developing for point-of-sale customers in the bank. And I said, sure, but what's stopping your tech guys from wanting to do this for you? Now, I enter every conversation understanding that there's a change management problem to start with. And my solution sale, my my product is the very last thing I discuss because it doesn't matter how wonderful I am if they haven't figured out their route through to change, <laughs> they can't buy. So the first thing I said to him was, what's stopping your tech guys from wanting to do this for you? And this man, who is the head of commercial banking at this bank, he is not a stupid person, said, well, that's the problem. They bought all your books. They're reading <laughs> and they are trying to put your stuff at the front end of their system. So I said, so how will you and the buying decision team know that what I would offer as a solution and what they're going to come up with as a solution might be different? Right, because they don't know that. And me telling them I'm terrific and I'll give them a better solution is not going to help. And I only have one person on the phone, and there's a lot more people than one person mm-hmm. involved in the buying decision. So he said, well, of course that's a big problem because they're not going to know. I know, I understand that you don't give all the data in the books, but the buying decision team's not going to read your books. They're not going to know that. So I said, so what would we all need to be doing to make sure that the buying decision team knows what the range of choices are? Because that's the problem not whether or not I can do it or whether or not I'm terrific. So he came up with some names of who should be on a conference call, and he left out a few. And so I reminded him, gee, maybe he might need a training person involved who's going to have to implement all this stuff. Of course, he'd need the tech guy, and of course, he'd need an internal consultant. And then I said, and has there ever been anything like this before in the bank? And he said, well, yeah, the head of retail banking put something like this together last year, a couple of years ago, and it failed miserably. So mm-hmm. we brought him in as well. They called me on Monday. On Friday, he put together a conference call with all these big, 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 big people at this bank. Now, every other salesperson I know at this point is sitting there with their mouths open because, number one, they couldn't have gotten the whole buying decision team together in four days. Number two, mm-hmm. they would probably have been on the plane and out there already meeting with everybody and gathering data about what their needs were and spend three days and $15,000 on, on travel and, and et cetera, and then come back for a month and put together a proposal. Mm-hmm. And it would have taken countless hours. And you know what? It wouldn't have worked at all because during this call, it became very clear there was a much bigger problem. Five minutes into the call, the CEO of this bank gets on the phone and says, I see all you big players on this call. I figure I better find out what kind of trouble you're getting into. Mm. So as we're talking, the CEO kept saying, no, 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 no. We tried that a couple of years ago. It didn't work. I'm not doing that again. So I was using my buying facilitation methodology, and I'm saying, um, well, yeah, um, what I'm hearing you say, you're, you're, you're right, that, that would happen again. Um, what I'm hearing, though, is if we tried X and Y instead of Z, then possibly 
we could overcome that or go around that. And he was going, yeah, that's a good idea. So we spent the hour with me kind of doing a consulting coaching session with them and getting input from the other members of the buying decision team. I never discussed their problem, never. And I never discussed my solution because they were having arguments about whether or not to use technology with with uh, point of sale and how training would happen and how the tech t- team would have to do X and Y. And there were so many contentious issues going on. There was nowhere, <laughs> nowhere a place for us discussing. So I got on their buying decision team as a result of me supporting them through all this. And for two months, we all went back and forth with questions and answers and discussions, and I was right in the middle of, the, of it all. They finally decided to use the... Uh, current tech team to do the front end and me to do it do the rest in a year so would I have gotten a lot more business if I did the entire thing on my own sure but you know what I wouldn't have gotten anything because <laughs> if I didn't mm-hmm. do what I did they wouldn't have gotten it either because of all the problems the CEO was having so I would have lost business they would have lost their route forward now they have a route forward. I have a piece of the business that's mine that's already on the budget. It's taken me two hours of time total. I didn't have to fly out there, and I will, and they're going to pay for it next time I have to go. So you mm-hmm. see the difference between me understanding a need and having a solution or helping them figure out all the buying decision issues they have to contend with first. In your book, you talk about the assumptions about what a buyer is, so we used to assume that the buyer is somebody who just has the need. Now, in the new way of looking at it, what is the buyer? A buyer is that group of individuals that touch the recognized need and are willing and able to find a way to change enough so they're able to bring in something new and manage the change. Because until or unless they are willing and able to contend with the disruption that any change will cause and get back to what's called homeostasis in the systems world, balance, they won't buy. The problem is never with our solution. The problem is always with whatever's going on in the buying decision team. I'll tell you another story. I was at a client's site in, uh, in uh, Edinburgh. And I used to live in England, and um, th- and this was actually last year at this time. Um, they got a, a contact from a prospect who had done three trials of their solution. Now, this this was a, a large university and the head of learning and development. She knew the um, the price week two. She knew the solution and how it worked from the first trial and from the second trial. <laughs> So by the third trial, she certainly knew the solution. She certainly knew the price. What was going on? So she called and said no. And I called her and I said, what's stopping? Oh, I said, you must have been so annoyed that you couldn't purchase the product. And she said, I love your solution. It's the best. It's terrific. I am. I'm so disappointed. And I said, so what stopped you from being able to buy? And she said, there's a new head of HR, and he's contentious and mean. And every time I have to deal with him, I get a migraine and I'm out for a day. So I've decided to limit my time with him. 
And this would have been um, something we would have to partner on, like, daily for months. And you know what? I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. And this happens all the time. So I said to her, so, and I'm, again, I'm using buying facilitation here. What I hear you saying is that you have put your personal criteria above your business decisions. And you can't see your way clear to reweight your options in case your employees need additional tools. Mm-hmm. And she said, damn, that's just what I did. That's bad. <laughs> I'm not, she said, I guess I'm not doing my job. So I said, so what would you need to know or believe differently to be able to figure out a way to work with this guy just in case you need additional choices for your employees? So she said, let me think about this. She emailed me about an hour later, and she said, can I have some of those great questions? And we sent her um, a few questions for herself to make sure that she'd feel safe talking with the guy, and then questions, facilitative questions for her and the guy. So how could you and I work together in a way that would serve the group without me being upset or whatever? I forgot what I did, but facilitative questions to help them figure out a way to work work together and move forward. She called a week later and bought bought the solution. So it had nothing whatsoever to do with the client's solution or her need, but about the buying process that also mm-hmm. had a lot to do with her personal issues that ordinarily we, we, we don't ever come in contact with. We don't know that kind of stuff is going on, but it is every day. Check out part two of my interview with Sharon Drew Morgan, author of Dirty Little Secrets, Why Buyers Can't Buy, Sellers Can't Sell, and What You Can Do About It. You have been listening to IT Market Buzz with your host, Kimberly Duran. Please visit our sponsors at www.copypunch.com.